I wonder if you've heard that uh, little old uh, saying, uh, to live above with saints we love, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know, quite a different story. The church, you see, is made up, isn't it, of a bunch of people who are fallen and flawed and different and diverse. We 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 have our faults and our flaws and our strange habits. I gather some of you don't support Manchester City, and and some of you don't even like football. I mean, you know, we're different, aren't we? We are different and diverse, and and the wonder and the miracle and the glory of the church is that we are united as one in Christ. Uh, we're brought together by, by Jesus. I've been doing some of these Meet the Vicar uh, appointments. It's been wonderful. I've loved it. I've, I've met about a 30 of you, I think, in a, in a one-to-one. I've got a few more appointments in the book, and, but there's still lots more. I know there's about 130 on the electoral roll, so there's still plenty of space. Do book up if you haven't yet. Um, but what have I been meeting? I've been meeting so many different people. We've been meeting young people and, and not quite so young, and some really seniors. Uh, I've been meeting men and women and uh, people with different backgrounds. I've met South American, South African, uh, Ugandan, Sri Lankan, uh, and some people even born and bred in Surbiton. Uh, it's such an amazing thing. Uh, it is wonderful, and, and, and we're united as one in Christchurch. And only God can do that. Only God can do that. Margaret Mead, I don't know if you've heard that name, she was a famous anthropologist, not a Christian, uh, but she, uh, she looked at the church and she looked at its diversity and, and she said, you are a sociological impossibility. You know, it just, just can't happen. It doesn't happen. This diversity, and yet you're one in, in Christ. Uh, Leslie Newmigan was a, a missionary and a, a writer, most, spent most of his life in South India. He described the local church as, as a hermeneutic of the gospel. That's a big word, isn't it? Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the, the study of the interpretation of Scripture. That's normally how we use that word. But he's saying this is how you... The, 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 the church is the hermeneutic of the gospel. That is, the church interprets the gospel. That is, if you want to understand the gospel, if you want to understand the good news of Jesus Christ, you have to look at the church and you see what God is doing. And when I understood what he was saying, I thought, God, that, that, is, a, that is a massive responsibility, isn't it? Imagine, and, but that's what people do, don't they? They can't see Jesus, so they look at the church, his body, and they, they make their decisions about Jesus by looking at the church. What a responsibility that is for us. And what a privilege. And so as you come back to Paul's letter to the Philippians, uh, he begins this next section, 127, by saying this, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. That is, you know the gospel, now live it out. We've seen in this letter so far that Paul is passionate about the gospel. That his great passion is that the gospel of Jesus keeps going out into the world. So back in 1 verse 5, he, he, he prays with joy because of the Philippians' partnership in the gospel. In verse 7, he talks about defending and confirming the gospel. In verse 12, he says that his suffering and imprisonment is, has served to advance the gospel. His real passion is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And, and, and he knows that defending, confirming, and proclaiming the gospel, vital as those things are, and that's our mission as a church, if we're not living the gospel, if we're not conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, it undermines the message. If our, our, our walk doesn't correspond to our, our talk, if we don't practice what we preach, 
then people will see a big difference. They won't understand the gospel. They won't see the gospel. Uh, they won't be drawn to Jesus. And so uh, most of the rest of this letter now of Philippians is about how you live the gospel, how you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. And particularly in our passage this morning, it is about our unity, how we are united as the church, united in, in the gospel. And I think for, for self-centered, individualistically thinking, 21st century Western people, uh, like many of us are, uh, this is deeply challenging. But it also gives us an inspiring vision for what the church should be, uh, of the humble, loving, Christ-centered, courageous, uh, gospel-centered church that God wants us to be. So let's get into uh, the, the passage. Um, I've just split it into two, because I think it is split in two. Uh, first three verses, 27 to 30, and then, um, then, then 2, 1 to 11. And uh, I've, just, I, I've got very unsnappy titles, but um, here's the first one. Yeah, we'll need one another to keep standing and striving for the gospel. We'll need one another to keep standing and striving for the gospel. Verse 27, have a look down if you've got the Bible open. Uh, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then Paul says, whether I come and see you or just hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. You might remember if you've been in in this series with us, Paul is in prison or in house arrest. He he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He may be executed in the next few days. He's saying, I don't know whether I'm going to be with you or able to visit ever again, but what really matters is not whether I'm there or not, but whether you are continuing on with the gospel, standing firm uh, together. And and what will that... uh, Why does he need to say that? Well, he, he needs to say it because it's not going to be easy there's going to be opposition, there's going to be suffering. He carries on. Uh, Standing together as one for the faith of the gospel, verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they'll be destroyed, that you'll be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And Lucy picked that up in her prayers, wonderful prayers. If we're going to follow Christ, if we're going to be serious as Christians, if we're going to uh, have a a biblical Christianity and and hold firm to it, uh, there will always be opposition. Suffering will be part of that. As Paul is writing this letter, he knows that the the Christians uh, are, are, are going to begin to face opposition. It's starting around now, AD 62, in, in Rome. Uh, Emperor Nero is, on, is in power, and, uh, and, and he's beginning to turn the heat up on the Christians. I mean, literally, we know the infamous story, so many of you will know, of him lighting Christians as, to use them as torches uh, along, the, along the road. Uh, he, his persecution was turning on the Christians, and, and Philippi is a Roman colony. So what happens in Rome will soon happen in Philippi. And, and Paul knows that, that if they're going to say, Jesus is Lord, when everyone in Rome says, Caesar is Lord, then there's going to be a culture clash, there's going to be opposition. 
true for us too. If we want to say Jesus is Lord instead of anything else is Lord, there will be opposition. But for, for Paul, he knows there's going to be suffering coming. So he's warning them of it and saying, you're going to need each other. You're going to need each other when things get difficult. Imagine you're um, just up the road at Twickenham. And uh, you wake up and you, you're suddenly there in Twickenham, not in the stands, but on the pitch. Okay? And you look down and you've not got a Bible in your hand, you've got a, foot, you've got a rugby ball in your hands. And then you look up and, and there's a whole bunch of all blacks bearing down on you. I mean, how do you feel? You know, your knees are quivering, you're knocking, you, you, you're terrified because the all blacks are coming and, and they, they're after you. And, and uh, what do you need at this point? Apart from the world to swallow you up or, or for you to wake up from your dream. Uh, well, you need your teammates. You need your support. You need to, uh, to stand together. You need others around you to bind in like a scrum, to, to, to form a solid unit together. And as your teammates appear, you're there and you've got the ball and they're coming and your teammates appear, suddenly the sort of courage starts rising in your heart. And you have that strength to stand in the face of opposition. And with all those all blacks still relentlessly bearing down on you, you're... You brace yourself for impact, but with confidence that there are others around you. Well, so it is with, with the Christian faith and with the gospel. As we take the gospel out, there will always be opposition. And we can't do it alone. We need one another. And you know, if you need to read your Bible, you know this, this is not unusual. This is the norm. Uh, this is what Jesus said. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world... It wouldn't hate you. It would love you at its own. But as it is, you don't belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world. So if you're a Christian, we're, not, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We've been chosen out of the world. We're different. We have to be different. The gospel always makes us different. And therefore, it always brings opposition, as it, just as it did to Jesus. For most places, in most of Christian history, to say Jesus is Lord has brought opposition. I mean, we have lived in this sort of unique, well, most of us, if we lived in the, in the West, have lived in this kind of unusual period of peace and prosperity and ease, because we live in this amazing blessing of having Christian heritage. But for most people, uh, that's not the case. Sarah last week prayed for Christians in northern Nigeria. Lucy this week prayed for Christians in India. Uh, Open Doors has a world watch list. Uh, North Korea is at the top. There's 50 nations, 340 million Christians uh, persecuted for their faith. Opposition comes. It's inevitable if you stand for your faith in Christ. And we're called to stand in solidarity with them, to weep with them, to pray with them. I had the privilege of going to Egypt uh, four years ago with Open Doors. And, and one of the things that the, the Christian believers there said, said don't pray for us, please, but pray, pray with us. It's not there's a persecuted church over here and we're a different kind of church. We're one church uh, and we're part of that church and we stand with them. Of course, we don't face persecution like that, do we, in this nation? But, but we know that our Christian heritage is being rapidly dismantled. We, we know that there's a, a move, our culture is moving fast away from the teaching of Scripture. Uh, Jesus is Lord uh, is an offensive statement in a relativistic culture. It says you can't have one Lord. It would be unwise to think that biblical Christianity is not going to face more opposition 
in the years to come. And, and we need one another in that. We need to stand firm together if we're going to keep going with the gospel and keep going out with the gospel. And so Paul carries on in chapter 2 and he describes what unity, what sticking together uh, will, will be like. And he says, uh, I'll put this other unsnappy title, we'll need Christ's humility and love to keep serving one another. This is what it looks like in, in the life of the church. Uh, there, if you're looking down at chapter 2, verse 1, he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Those five verses are incredibly challenging and, and there's so much in them. I think Paul is doing two things. Firstly, he's just saying what we've received, what God has done, and then he's saying how do you respond? What should you do? What has God done? Well, he is, in short, in verse one, united us with Christ. He's poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has united us together and is shaping us to be people of tenderness and compassion. So our unity as a church is not something we create, it's something that God has given us. He's done this. He's, it's the foundation on which we act. So although it's translated, if you have any encouragement by his, with, 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 from being united with Christ, it's not sort of a question like, if you have, you might have, you might not have. It's, a, it's more like sort of because you have, since you have, this encouragement, since you're united, since you've received the Spirit, uh, so then, and then he goes on to say, this is how you're to act. It's a bit like, um, apologies for another sports illustration, uh, you know, Gareth Southgate this week uh, had called up his England squad. You know, the players chosen received the phone call, uh, they joined up with the others, uh, they were did some training together, they were given the shirt, and last night, uh, Gareth Kaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskaskask
You know, there'll be lively discussion around issues that are secondary, but there'll be unity in the gospel, in what we believe. And then it's the, our hearts are to be united, having the same love, he says. I think he means having the same love as Jesus, as we'll see in a moment, what his love looks like. Uh, but of course, it's not just what we think or feel. Our unity is in what we do, how we act, uh, which flows out of our head and heart. And so here are two of the most challenging verses in the Bible, I think, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Paul needs to say this, doesn't he? Because our natural instinct, our natural tendency will be to look after number one. To consider our own needs, to put ourselves first. That is our natural tendency and... Our Christian calling is to, is, to, is to step down. I mean, our, our natural tendency is, is always to be stepping up. Let's see if I, I can get it to a higher step. I'll, I'll get to a higher step. But our natural tendency is subsumed by our Christian calling, which is always to step down and to invite a friend, a colleague, our neighbor, our fellow Christian to step up. We push ourselves down. We push others and elevate others up. That's our calling. What well, well, might that look like in the life of a church? I was trying to think that, that through. I was trying to listen into people's minds and listen to what they, they were saying. Um, I'd love to have that. Wouldn't you love to have that power? <laughs> to be able to see you. Just what are you thinking? Like, I know half of you are thinking, oh, this is going on a bit long. Or... Uh, some of you are thinking, gosh, the lunch is now, I'm getting hungry, I'm looking forward to those refreshments. Anyway, uh, I'm just, I imagine listening into some of the conversations of what it looks like, verse, verse 3 and 4 might sound like in, in a mind. It might sound like, you know, I don't, I don't really like this song very much, or, or this style of music, but I'm gonna, I, I know others do. I'm going to sing it as best as I can, and I'm going to enjoy other people really loving it. Or it might be that, uh, you know, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, there are, there are so many other things I could do this evening. I'm quite tired, and uh, just home group's going to be hard. But, but I know that home group needs me, and I know that I need home group, and so I'm going to get up, and I'm, I'm going to go out to, to home group tonight. Uh, or, or you know, I, I love t- talking to my friends over coffee after church, um, but I've, just, I've seen someone over there who's on their own. I, I'm, I'm going to go and talk to them. Uh, it could look like lots of things. I, I, I'm listening to someone saying, you know, I put a lot of effort into making that event happen last week, and someone else seemed to take all the credit and got all the thanks. But that's okay, because it's not about me, it's about the Lord, and I'm glad that they were thanked for what they, were do- what they did. Or, or, you know, I've heard there are some rotors that need to be filled, there, there, there are more volunteers are needed. I wonder how I could get stuck in. Maybe I'll go and talk to, to someone. I've heard that Christine needs a lift to the hospital. I mean, I had some other plans for, for Friday, but, but I can, I'm sure I can change those. I'm, I'm going to go with her. Uh, there, there are a thousand, thousand practical ways in which we, we can step down and elevate others in the life of the church. And, and I've only been around less than a month, and I've seen that going on in, in the life of Christchurch already, and it's encouraging and exciting to see people serving uh, like that. It's practical, 
but it's rooted in what Paul says, a mindset. It's about our attitude, about how God is shaping our minds. And, and how does he say our minds should be shaped? Well, he says, verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as his. So if we're in any doubt of what humility looks like, if we're in any doubt of what putting the interest of others first looks like, well, we need not look any further than Jesus. Uh, Paul takes in verses 6 to 11 uh, probably what was already a hymn. It would have been sung in the local church, uh, in, the, in the assemblies. They would have known it. It's a, a beautiful, what you might call a Christology, the study of Christ. It's a picture of Jesus. And he says, look, this is what we're to be like. This is what our hearts, our minds are to be like. And we haven't got time to dig into this amazing hymn uh, this morning. It's worth returning to regularly because it's such a beautiful uh, description of, the, uh, of what Jesus, uh, who he is and, and what he's done. I remember once someone likening this passage to um, a diver seeking for pearls. And the diver starts at the top of a very high cliff. Uh, he's beside the sea, he's strong, he's tall, he's strong, he's standing at the top of the cliff. And he throws himself off the, the cliff. Sleek and fast, down he falls towards the water. Down and down and down until he hits the water. And he breaks the surface. And he keeps going down and down and down until he gets to the very bottom of the ocean. And the pressure is immense and his lungs are bursting and it's dark and it's murky at the bottom. And then he spots his prize. He sees the pearl. It's looking not very precious, not very beautiful, but he takes a hold of it. And he's not going to let it go. And he comes up and he comes up and he comes up holding his prize and he breaks the surface uh, and then he clambers back up the cliff and he climbs to the top of the cliff and he is welcomed with cheering and, 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 and uh, applause as he stands with his prize in his hand. And in a sense, if you read this passage, uh, that is what Jesus has done. This is the journey of Jesus. Uh, he was in very nature God. He was enjoying the glory and the beauty and the wonder and the majesty of heaven. And he chose to come down to come down and to down, to, to become a man, to take the nature of a, of a servant, being born like one of us, born in a manger. Uh, and then he came down, he kept going down. He was homeless and uh, despised and rejected and beaten. And he kept going down, 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 down to the cross, even death on a cross, that most hideous of tortures, uh, down under the curse of God, down into hell itself to take hold of a prize. And then God raised him up from the dead on that glorious resurrection Sunday morning and he held on to his prize and he took the prize up on the day of ascension into heaven. And his people are seated with him in the spiritual realm uh, to the applause of the angels. 
This is the story of uh, the journey of Jesus. It's the story of Ephesians, uh, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, this is the journey that Jesus took. And, and here's, the, here's, the, here's the truth. You see, Jesus is sitting in heaven, in the glory of heaven, and at any point he could have said, I'm not going down there. Look down at the world, they're messed up, they're suffering, they're sinful, they're God-rejecting. You know, let them get on with their own mess. God, Jesus could have stayed in heaven, but he chose to come, to step down, to come down, to enter into our world, that he might lift us up to heaven. And Paul says, in your relationships, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Can you imagine a church where everybody has that mindset? Where instead of standing on our rights or demanding our own way, with a humility that only the Spirit can give, we, we serve one another. We step down so that we can lift others up. Imagine a church like that where, where rather than being fearful as opposition comes, uh, to the gospel as it will do. We, we strengthen one another so we can continue to go out serving one another, modeling Christ's love, uh, living uh, for the world around us. Imagine a church like that where as people full of diversity, difference, full of being messed up and, and hurting, uh, we, we'll wind each other up and, and rub each other up the wrong way and, and hurt each other because we're still fallen and flawed and sinners even though we're forgiven. Uh, we're a church where we forgive and continue to serve one another. Church is the, the hermeneutic of the gospel. It's where people will look to see whether they really understand Jesus, the good news. Will they see in our church a church that models itself on Jesus? Well, that's my prayer. It's my longing uh, for Christ church. It's my prayer for myself and for us together. Until the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Uh, as the musicians come up, let's, let's respond. I've got a few minutes to, to respond to God's word this morning in our hearts, in our minds. Why don't you ask God, as, as the musicians play, to, to seal on your heart what has been most important for you from, from his word, something he's been challenging you about maybe, something he's encouraging you to do. Don't let this morning go uh, without responding rightly uh, to, to Jesus. I'm just going to lead in a, in a prayer, a sung prayer. And then we're going to sing together. But uh, let's use this time to respond.